We pray with me. Father, uh, what we do not know about persecution, teach us. God, what we have not, give us. God, what we are not, kindly make us. For your son's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles open to 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 to 13. 1 John 3, 12 to 13. Uh, we are almost done with our series, Are You Certain? Uh, looking, we've been looking at for the last 10 weeks at the distinguishing mark of a true follower of Christ. Uh, as we know, Paul in, in 2 Corinthians, verse 13, 5 says, um, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. This is a command here for us to each individual who claims or who professes themselves to be a Christian must examine themselves to see whether they are in the faith, whether they have saving faith. It's, Paul says, test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? This morning we're about to take test number 10. And uh, I, I wish I had more time for you to grade yourself uh, as we go through the assurance test. Maybe we'll do that in the next couple of weeks. But I want you to just to look at the, the test that we've been going through. Um, as you know, First John is just full of tests. Have you enjoyed fellowship with Christ and, and the Father and His Holy Spirit? Do, do you have a deep awareness of your sins? Do you obey God's Word? Do you reject the world and its ways? Uh, do, do you long for the return of Jesus Christ and, and to make him, to make, be made like him? Do, do you habitually do what is right more and sin much less? Uh, do you love other Christians sacrificially and, and want to be with them? Do you experience after prayer? Do, can you discern between spiritual truth and error with the help of the Holy Spirit? And this, this morning, do you experience persecution because of your faith. In, in John 15, 20, uh, Jesus said, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Would you, would you turn your Bible with me to John 16, 33 and, and well, springboard from here. In John 16, verse 33, Jesus again says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. And then he goes on to say, in the world, you will have tribulation. You will have tribulation. But, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Christ makes it very, very clear that if you intend to follow in his footsteps, you will be persecuted just as he was. Jesus used the future indicative. In other words, this is a promise from God. This is not something that is an option or suggestion. Calvin once said, it is a vain endeavor for, to detach Christ from his cross. For now we live in a comfortable America. Where we have to, where we have the protection of the First Amendment that protects our freedom of religion. But the question is, you must ask yourself is, are you, am I ready to be persecuted for Christ's sake? See, it's not if 
if we get persecuted, it's when we get persecuted. Like I've said to you before, this whole entire series in First John, are you certain, is, is there enough evidence to convict you that you're a Christian? Is there enough marks in your, in your life, in your heart, in your head that makes you a Christian? Is there anything that convicts you that you're a Christian? See, there must be evidence that you're a Christian because the alternative is tragic. The alternative is not just being separated from God for a day or for a week or, or for a month or for a year. The, the tragedy is you'll be separated from God forever. Today we celebrate and the people who lost their lives for Jesus Christ. Who, who's what we call the blood of martyrs. Before we get started, I just I think it's it's just good to know. How many of you here could say I'm okay with persecution? I'm okay with it. Okay, no takers. How many guys here say I love persecution? How many guys would say I don't like persecution? Oh, we should have a lot of hands raised up, right? I'm going to go through again. You have three options, right? I, I like persecution. Okay, nobody likes that. All right, I'm okay with persecution. Nobody likes that either. How about this? I don't like persecution. All right. Um, you know, you're in good company because Jesus didn't like it too. Jesus said, "If God, if Father, if there's anything, let this cup pass from me. All the prophets, not, well, no one likes being hurt. But the reality is, the moment you become a Christian, you will be hurt. You'll be hated. You'll be persecuted. And you'll be suffering for your faith. Our, we have three points this morning. If you're taking notes, number one, persecution should be anticipated. Number two, persecution should be accepted. And number three, persecution should be Christ-centered. Point number one, persecution should be anticipated. In 1 John 3.13, it says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Here in verse 13 lies the tenth test of assurance. Are you being persecuted or hated for your faith? He tells us that persecution shouldn't be anticipated, meaning don't be surprised when the world hates you. Jesus already said the world will hate you. You should expect it. When people become Christians, something that sometimes their lives change so dramatically that they get hated for it. This was certainly true for John's readers. Believers who had come out of this moral, corrupt, pagan world after believing, however, they no longer wanted to be involved in such immoral things. As a result, they were persecuted for their newfound faith. This was true of the Thessalonians. Would you open your Bible with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Um, again, it tells us this church uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 to 16. We know that when they... They were saved in verse chapter 1, verse 9, that they will, they will suffer punishment of eternal 
Uh, actually, they, it says they have turned from God, from idols to serve a living true God, meaning there was conversion that happened in verse 9. Now, jumping to chapter 2, verse 13, they, and Paul said, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, the gospel, which you have heard from us, you accepted it as the word of men. But as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers, because imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but the wrath has come upon them at last. Jesus promised in, in John 15, 18, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus is very clear, right? If the world hates you, meaning the world's going to hate you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You might as well embrace it. You no need to resist it. No need to avoid it. It will come to you. In Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. See, our salvation came with suffering. It's interchangeable. When, when one becomes saved, one should expect hatred and, and hostility for their faith. This is part of being a Christian. Paul considered a privilege to suffer for Christ. He wanted the believers also in Philippi to also understand that persecution was not punishment for their sins, nor was it accidental. That, that somehow God has gotten sidetracked or had forgotten to protect them. No wonder he said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He considered his death through persecution something is gain. Going back to our main text in 1 John 3.12, he says we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And, and why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. As Cain did with his brother Abel, unbelievers also react in a silly often because they wanted to justify their actions. You see, Abel was killed because Cain wanted to justify that his offering was just as good as Abel. Or his life is as good as Abel. You see, when a believer takes a stand for certain unrighteous activities, it produces hate. And in Abel's case, eventually murder. Abel's story brings to light that we will experience persecution for our faith. His faith in God showcased for us the genuineness of, of his devotion and, and worship to God. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, All who desire to live godly, who all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, he did not say here that you may be persecuted. He said you will be persecuted. Would you turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 11, 
2 uh, Corinthians 11, just to give a snapshot of, of what Paul went through. Starting in verse 23 in, in 2 Corinthians, he says, um, are they servants of Christ? Paul said, I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the, the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked at night and day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and danger from rivers and danger from robbers, danger from my people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger, uh, uh, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food. In cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my of me of my anxiety for all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who is made to fall. Am I not more indignant? And and I love what how he responded. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. That the God, my Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, He who has blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. And then go back to chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. He goes to say, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us. On Him we set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. That's why we are together today in the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Because they need our prayers. Because they are they are in the front lines saying that God is is awesome and great, and He's the only way to salvation. You know, because the Bible, the gospel is so offensive, and they're out there being offensive. And they're telling people that there's only one way to heaven. They're telling people, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life." They're telling people that you can't go to heaven apart from Christ. They're telling people that what that God don't like and hates their sin. And hates their lifestyle. So they're there being persecuted. John MacArthur say, you, you say I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian and I don't suffer persecution. It, all we have to do is read 2 Timothy 3.12 again. It says that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you're not being persecuted, that's because you do not live godly lives in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you, how many of you here have this desire to live godly lives? So if you're a Christian and you're just professing to be a Christian and there's no godly life attached to that profession, what that means is that no way you're going to, yeah, for sure you're not going to suffer any persecution. Because there's no godly life to persecute. There's no godly life to go after. There's no godly life to attack. But if, if this is true, and believe it's true, God says, if you will decide and you have this willingness in your heart to make a commitment that I will live godly for Christ Jesus, 
as a result, as your reward, you will be persecuted for your faith. Do you ever wonder what Jesus, when Jesus said, you want to come after me? You want to come follow me? What did he say? You got to deny yourself. Not only deny yourself, you need to take up your cross. What does that mean? Take up your cross. You're not just wearing a cross in your in here. Not just having a cross in your home. You know what that means in Roman times is that you're carrying your own sentence. So Jesus is saying, if you're gonna come follow me, are you also willing to take up that cross that I did? That's why what did what did the movie say? It says, if 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 you lose your life for my sake, then that's the only way you'll actually find life. But so many Christians in America are so comfortable, aren't we? When we think about persecution, what's that? What's persecution? I don't know what that is. You know that if you open up enough your mouth about who Jesus is, you'll get some negative feelings, don't you? It's the most offensive name in the world, isn't it? Like, for example, when I say Allah, no expression. Muhammad, Buddha, right? No expression, nothing. But how about when you say the name Jesus? It gets a reaction, doesn't it? Right? Good or bad, but it gets a reaction. That's why it's the greatest name of all. Abel was murdered by his own flesh and blood because of his righteous life. Sadly, when people think about the word righteous, it often comes with an image of a surfer guy describing a wave. But that's not the way the Bible defines it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, Paul talks about turning from our lustful desires and, and pursuing righteousness. He does not mean trying, we're trying to earn or achieve it. He means pursuing God's character because it is the desire of our new nature to become more like Him. To pursue righteousness means to turn away from our natural and sinful desires and turn to Christ and His righteous ways. Are you doing that? Are you pursuing the character of God? In Proverbs 15 verse 9, Solomon says, He loves those who pursue righteousness. For years I have deceived myself to thinking that righteous living had more to do with behavioral modification than heart transformation. Sadly, I was so more concerned about my outward form of holiness. It was that mattered to me the most and spirit-filled change. Aren't you glad that you and I can rest in the fact that God's sovereignty works everything for the good of His people? Including restoring us through Christ's righteousness by imputing His righteousness on us? Our righteousness began in Christ and will end in Christ. Our delight is to follow Him and pursue it daily in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as light in the world. If you're a race car driver, you should expect what? Crashes, don't you? Right? There's no such a thing as a race car driver who doesn't get, who doesn't crash. If you're a football player, don't be surprised of injuries. If you're a baseball player, please know that the ball will hit you at times. 
if you're a soldier, you should expect to be shot at. As a Christian, we should expect some degree of persecution, not an absence of one. What's, an ama- what's amazing is that John says we will face persecution because we love one another. Jesus tells us his followers, some will be saved by the love of, uh, love of each other with Christians, but others will be infuriated by it. So instead of being shocked by their hatred, we should be surprised when we do not face any. My seminary professor told our class that if we are not facing any opposition in ministry, chances are we are not living out our calling. See, no way I'm telling you to look for opposition or enemies, but we must understand that persecution is inevitable for all who live godly lives. Some will experience physical oppression, while others will feel it in their hearts and their minds. And the question is, are are you willing? Some some people say, you know what, I don't feel any persecution. I, I never experienced persecution. Well, God knows what you will do if you do experience persecution. God knows that you will deny him. God knows that you will not be bold for your faith. I mean, let me ask you, are you willing to lose your job for Christ? Are you, lose, are you willing to lose your family member because of Christ? Are you willing to, to stake your reputation for Christ? You know, are, are you willing to give up everything that you are for Christ? See, those are so heavy, aren't they? And in some ways so extreme. But, but yet that is what the demand here is. The, the demand here is like, if you're a true Christian, there has to be a badge of honor. How many of you guys here have ever had paper cuts? Okay, if the only thing you're going to bring to heaven is a paper cut, it's not worth it. Right? Um, have you heard of um, John and Betty Stamp? How many of you guys have heard of them? They're missionaries to China. And uh, they've gone to this village in China and they were um, three months there where they were raided by bandits. They had a three-month-old daughter, uh, uh, Helen Priscilla, who was three months old. And they finally came to his house and pounded the door and captured them. And they stripped them of their clothes and they rode to town outside of town with their baby girl. And then uh, when they were 12 miles away from that village that they came in. Uh, remember, they just got there. They just got their language training. They were ministering to the people. They were missionaries. And then when they were laid there 12 miles away, um, Betty was able to put the child in um, a protective uh, basket and covered her. And, and then they took John and Betty away out. And those bandits drew a sword and slewed their heads. Helen Priscilla survived and was later found. You know, when I look at stories of Adoran Judson or, or Hudson Taylor, and, and when I look at this, all these missionaries and who went through extreme, extreme difficulty in life and persecution, and when I look at my comfortable Christianity in America and I say, God, I know who the real true Christian is. I, I know they are. And the question that still comes up to you and I is, are you? 
do you have anything to show for it? Or it's just you're, you're bold in your Christianity on Sunday where we speak the same language, where we speak the same truth. But will you do that to the world, the outside world? Will you go out and say, God, I am a believer of Christ. I'm, a, I'm his follower. And I'm willing to take whatever beatings or anything or hatred or insults for your sake. You know, I, I encourage you to read biographies. Because in them, you see, these are my heroes. People said, my sports stars, sports celebrities are my heroes. They're not. They're not heroes. You know, they, they live for themselves. They don't live for anybody else. So, so what we have this thinking as Christians, and we're surprised when, when people hate us. Because Jesus said that you'll, you'll be hated. So, so don't be surprised when our society becomes intolerant towards you who advocate for biblical morality. I heard of a counselor who was, who, she was in her last semester uh, at a major university and she was asked to drop out of her program because she said that I will not counsel or do psychology with a homosexual. I will not do it. I will take a stand against LGBTQ. I will take a stand. And she was dropped from her program because of it. You know, we see more people fighting for COVID or fighting for LGBTQ than, than they are for the gospel. Don't we? Don't we see more passion from people about politics, about a vaccine, about everything else outside of Christ? We take so much passion with it. But what about Christ? What about the gospel? You know, the, I don't know if you guys know that today, Christians today are being labeled as racist or homophobic. There's been legislation that wants to remove God from the dollar bill out of anthems and school curriculum. Lawsuits against religious institutions and business are on the rise. Employees are being fired for referencing Bible verses. Teachers giving up, giving bad grades to students who write about God. Family disowning you in your conversion. Friends slandering and insulting you behind your back because of Jesus. Don't be surprised when society begins to attack you for your faith. A few years ago, I had an opportunity to preach at a high school camp, and the theme of the camp was what it means to follow Jesus. And after I preached on John 15, when Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you, a young man walked up to me with tears in his eyes and said, my girlfriend told me a couple weeks ago that she wants nothing to do with me anymore because I'm a Christian. I remember tears rolling down his cheeks as he told me this. I responded gently, I'm really sorry. I know it hurts to lose a friend. But you know what this tells me is you are walking in the footsteps of your master. It's not a question of if, it's always a question of when and how are we going to get persecuted. And the question becomes for us that we need to answer, are you ready? You know, before we move on, for Abel, it's just this foreshadowing of our Lord Jesus Christ, one when, when whose blood speaks better than the blood of Abel. For though Abel's innocent blood cried out for justice against sins, Jesus' innocent blood cried out for mercy for sinners. His blood exposed Cain in his wretchedness, but Jesus' blood covered our wretchedness and cleansed us from all sin. Moreover, the sacrifice Abel gave were temporary, but the Jesus sacrifice is permanent. He did not stay dead. He was not some, in some grave somewhere in Jerusalem. He was resurrected and lives today and sitting at the right hand of the Father. See, at the cross, he conquered sin and death 
and his shed blood is a sacrifice that made provision for your salvation once and for all. And that's worth standing for. Isn't it? Isn't it? That worth standing for? Do you ever think, many people think that Christianity is cheap. It's not. If Christianity is cheap, why would God the Father even set his son? Do you know that it's, it's not cheap? It was heavy. The cost was heavy. The, the cost was the son of a living God coming here to die for sinners like you and me. Shouldn't we at least make a stand and take a stand for him? What if tomorrow you walk into your office or you walk into your school? What if they ask you, are you a Christian? What would your response be? Would you say, ah, kind of. Or I'm guess we'll say, I, I go to church. You know, th those don't say that you're a Christian. None of those tells you that you're a Christian. But what if someone would just say, ask you, are you a Christian? What if they would threaten you with their life? Would you say, will you renounce your Christianity? Would you? Would you do it? I don't know about you, but... One thing I know about myself is I love comfort. How many guys here love comfort? Loves comfort. How many guys here would say I'm addicted to comfort? Addicted to comfort. How many guys here think that comfort is it? Right? But when you put Christianity and comfort together, it does not mix. There's no such a thing as Christianity and comfort. But the reason why we don't get persecuted or hated or insulted for your faith is because you're so comfortable. When you're staying where you are, saying nothing about your Christianity, defending the, not Christ or the gospel, you stay the way you are. You don't open your mouth. You don't live godly lives. Of course, you will not be persecuted. That is the recipe for no persecution. You want the recipe for no persecution? Stay where you are. Don't say anything. Don't live godly lives. You will not be persecuted. But if you do the opposite, you will be persecuted. That's why I ask you. Do you desire to live godly lives? Because if you do, I want to tell you, you will be persecuted. And that's the price of Christianity. You know, you feel like, probably I'm like, uh, if, if you don't have a relation with Christ yet, you feel like I'm, I'm trying to chase you away from the gospel, chase you away from the Christ, probably I am. Because I want to tell you, this is heavy. This is no joke. This is costly. It will cost you your life. It can cost you your life. That's why Jesus said, what? Be careful. Don't just come to me. Don't just say, I want eternal life. But do you know the cause of following me? How many of you guys here have ever had a drink called Bloody Mary? How many of you guys ever had Bloody Mary? How many of you guys had a Bloody Mary? I mean, not this morning. But, <laughs> but you know, Bloody Mary. Have you guys ever had Bloody Mary? Right. There's an actual person called Bloody Mary. There's an actual person called Bloody Mary. And his first martyr is a man named John Rogers. And John Rogers was put to jail. And he was asked, will you recant? Will you deny Jesus Christ? Will you den deny the, the doctrines of faith? Would you deny the grace of God? Would you deny the bodily resurrection of Christ? Would you deny it? John Rogers says, no, I will not. John Rogers 
was led to the stake and he was burned alive. And in front of him was his wife, his 11 children, and he was lit up fire. You know what they call John Rogers? He's called the happy martyr. You know why he's called the happy martyr? While he's being burnt, insulted, insulted, he was singing hymns. And one biographer who was there, who was an eyewitness of, of the burning of John Rogers, said that when he started singing, the whole crowd starts singing with him. And they gave him the title, Happy Martyr. Just happy. Why? Because Jesus was worth it. That's why. Number two, persecution should, should be accepted. In, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 to 12, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus, in his inaugural address, his first sermon, Matthew 5, he gave us all the clear description of what his kingdom citizens looked like. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the gentle, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, this word righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And what Jesus is saying here, if you live a life of poor in spirit and mourning and gentleness and hunger and thirst for righteousness and mercy, pure in heart and a peacemaker, you will be persecuted. And what you will notice here as you go through this list is a clear picture of King Jesus. He perfected humility, gentleness, righteousness, mercy, purity, and peace, and he was condemned for it. This just confirms the principle that we will begin to look at like the person we follow. As he was humble, so will you will be. As he was merciful, so you will be. As he was pure, so you will be. As he was persecuted, so you will be. Therefore, persecution should be embraced, accepted. Jesus said, you are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. He tells his followers that they should embrace when people mock them and persecute them and lie about them. Our brothers and sisters in Christ across the world embraces persecution as a badge of honor. Moreover, Jesus commands us to rejoice and be glad. Did you guys see that? Did, did, did you guys see that? How many of you guys would like to delete that part? I, I would. I, I didn't like that. I'll be honest with you. I like the blessed part. How many guys like the blessed part? You guys like the blessed? Like blessed? Like blessed? How many guys here rejoice and be, and be glad for being persecuted? How many guys like that? He says rejoice and be glad. I didn't make it up. You guys like that? Rejoice and be glad? You know, I should be seeing smiles right now. That's what rejoice means. So when I hear rejoice, there should be what? There should be some smiles, right? And, and when I say glad, there should be some smiles as well, right? When I say rejoice, be glad, you don't go like this. <laughs> it says rejoice and be glad. That's what he says. Jesus said, be, be, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Paul said, on my account, rejoice and be glad. And I'm going to give you the reason why. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great. In heaven. 
Is that great? Is that awesome that it's not for nothing? Isn't that great to know that, that if we will suffer insults and, and persecution and hatred and, and physical suffering, that it's not all for nothing? How many of you guys okay with that? You guys okay with that? Because God said, He just didn't say you will get a reward. Jesus said, great is your reward. In Acts 5.41, the apostles left the presence of the council, rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. The writer to the Hebrews 10.34 says, He had the compassion to those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and an abiding one. A person with righteous character can rejoice and be glad because of the promise of a great reward. Jesus is teaching us that if you can perceive clearly enough and treasure highly enough and be satisfied deeply enough with the greatness of our reward in heaven, this miracle of rejoicing and being glad will happen. You will rejoice and be glad when hated and persecuted and slandered for Jesus' sake. Have you ever read a how-to instruction manual? How many guys have, I don't like those things, you know? Why can't they just, like, build itself? You know, I don't know why they need manuals. <laughs> but they're often so long and, and boring, and most of us don't actually read them fully. We read just enough and to skim the rest if needed. And rejoicing or being joyful isn't something we purchase or acquire like a new kitchen appliance. Rather, it's an ability we have been given by God, and you know, most abilities aren't can't accomplish automatically. You have a musical ability, but you still have to be practicing singing or playing the instrument. Andrew, thank you for practicing all month for a four-minute song. <laughs> you may have the ability to dunk a basketball. Uh, Tim, you need to teach me how to do this. Uh, and, and, and shoot three-point shot, but you still have to do it repeatedly to increase your consistency. See, experience improves your level of success. Practice may not be perfect, but it does embrace performance. As Christians, we have the ability to rejoice, but that doesn't mean we succeed as often as we could or should. You know, I tell you this, and I, I preach to myself because uh, none of us like persecution. None of us like, be, like being insulted. None of us like being hated. None of us like being physically beaten. None of us will ever like that. You know, most of us are what we call people pleasers, like we love to please people, right? And because of that, you end up pleasing people more than you please God. And that results in no persecution or hatred or insult at all. But, but God is saying rejoice and be glad. It's, God is so hard. It's so hard to rejoice and be glad, isn't it? It is. That's why it needs God's miracle for us to rejoice and be glad. This is not something that we can manufacture. This is something that has to be supernaturally given to us to rejoice and be glad. Because it is worth it. What would it look like when, when, when we're in heaven and, and God is handing out his rewards and, and then it finally it's your turn to come up in your reward and, and you feel that, man, it, you know, I'm literally looking forward to this reward. I, I Definitely, I live the life of a Christian what if there's nothing on the hatred category? 
What if you were never insulted for your faith? What if you were never ridiculed for your faith? How come you never had any serious suffering for your faith? You know, guy, it just didn't happen. You know, it just didn't happen. And I just didn't look for it. I'm not telling you to look for it. I'm not look, telling you to look for enemies or opposition. I'm not. It's going to come to you. But, but the question is, will you welcome it when it does come? Or will you deny him when it does come? See, in our lives, this is something that God is going to give us opportunity. He's going to tell you, I'm going to put the gospel in front of you, and you're going to be offensive to people. And he's going to be you're going to be in there. It's, you have a choice at that moment. It's your choice to say, I am for Jesus, or you're going to say, ah, oh, sort of. But can you guys realize that? There's such great reward for being ridiculed and insulted by your faith. Will you welcome it at least? Will you just go to someone tomorrow and say, you know what? You know, previously I denied that I was a Christian, but I want to tell you right now, I am a Christian. Right? Would you say that to your neighbor? Would you say that to your friends or family? That, that I have a different king now? That, that my king's name is Jesus and, and I stand for him? That I love him? That I commit myself to him? Would you do that? Because if you do, whew, tell me about what happens after. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.17 tells us momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all compa- comparison. One of the reasons Christians can endure worldly hardships now because they will receive an eternal reward later. Jesus gives us six from the Beatitudes, rewards. There's just a little bit of those, that great reward. He said in verse 8, this is the reward, you will see God. In verse 7, the reward is you will be shown mercy. In verse 9, you'll be part of God's family. Then in verse 4, you will experience God's comfort. In verse 5, you'll be co-owners and co-heir of the whole world. Finally, in verse 6, you will be satisfied with personal and universal righteousness. You see, God has done this miracle in the past and he can do it today. This is what Peter was saying in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. This is the, the treasure and the reward that is kept in heaven for you that is undefiled. That's why a man like John Rogers can sing himself to the stake as he was walking to the altar of his wedding day, on his wedding day. Because he was about to see the groom of heaven, the king of glory. And that's all mattered to him more than anything or anyone, even his own wife and children. What would it look like if you keep God's kingdom at the forefront of your minds? Imagine if you would be bold to speak the truth even when it's unpopular. Imagine if you would take a stand to defend the Bible, the gospel, knowing that you're going to be attacked. Imagine if you would boldly share the gospel with your friends and family, even though they might be offended and reject you. Are you willing to take a stand in the face of death and rejoice knowing that soon you will see the King of glory enter His kingdom and receive His eternal rewards? James, the Lord's half-brother, the first church martyr, said this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. If you tell others that you love Jesus, God said you will be persecuted. 
And the command here is, again, Jesus calls you blessed. You are blessed. If you remain steadfast under trial. And when you remain steadfast when you stand for the, when you stood up for the test. And I love the part. I don't know what this looked like, by the way. The crown of life, I don't know what that looks like. I know, but it is a reward. In Revelation 20, verse 4, he says, Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their heads. They came to life and regained with, and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. You know, if you don't get a chance, read Psalms 84. Uh, I read it this morning before I came to church, and uh, man, what what a what an awesome psalm! What an awesome song! Also, that's been made to a song by Shane and Shane, and and talks about that it's better to be in God's courts than a thousand else elsewhere. <laughs> Last point, and I have two minutes. I don't know how to do it, but I'll do, I'll try. Uh, persecution should be Christ-centered. When the Lord Jesus was accused of wrongdoing before the high priest with no merit, he did not defend himself because he was committed to a higher purpose. I want you to picture Jesus being cursed at, ridiculed, blasphemed, railed at, mocked, abused, beaten, pushed around, crowned with a crown of thorns, but he took it all willingly and voluntarily. And here's the thing. He did not have to bear it. He was the son of God and could have stopped everything, but he had come to save you, not to condemn you. Peter then tells us that Jesus committed himself to God, knowing that God would exonerate him. In 1 Peter 2.23 says, And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See, Jesus knew that God judges righteously, fairly, thus committing his life into his hands. He knew that God would raise him up and prove his claim to be the Savior of the world. The word entrusting means to hand over, to deliver into the hands of. Jesus handed over his life to God. Will you? Will you hand your life to God? Again, he did not have to suffer death. He had the power to stop it all. But he wanted to save you. John 15 Verse 12, greater love than this, that one will lay down his life for who? His friends. The word suffer used in the place of persecution in scriptures all the time. We see this a lot in 1 Peter. But there's a difference. Persecution is always suffering, but not all suffering is persecution. I'm going to say that again, okay? Persecution is always suffering, but not all suffering is persecution. Suffering of sickness or natural disaster-related events or accident-related events are not persecution. Persecution should be seen as more of an intentional personal attack, and the reason for their attack is clear. They don't like your king or they don't like his laws. It's not about your political affiliation, upholding your constitutional rights. It's about your king, his name, and his righteousness. That's why. That's personal persecution. That's persecution. At 1 Peter 4, 14 to 16. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Again, blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And then verse 15, Peter goes on to say, Make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. 
I, at times I wonder why many of our debates, arguments, or conflicts are more about earthly kings than the heavenly king. More about our political agenda and affiliation than God's heavenly agenda. If it's more about the American dream than God's kingdom. And sadly, many Christians sticks out their necks more for politicians and not for Christ. If you're going to suffer, let's make sure that Christ is at the center of it. It's defending him and his word. Verse 16, love this verse. Peter reminds his readers, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. The apostle encourages to always do what is right, regardless of the suffering it might bring. And in that suffering, you could have the opportunity to praise your God. Our attitude should be, Thank you, Lord, that I found worthy to suffer. Would you say that with me? Thank you, Lord. Would you say thank you, Lord? Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord that I am found worthy to suffer. I think we could. I don't think God hears you, by the way. <laughs> I just don't think so. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Lord, that I am found worthy to suffer. And when you read Hebrews 11 you will say, I'm in good company. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. See, absent of persecution, you will not be perfect, you will not be complete, and you will lack everything. And the only way to be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, is steadfastness. And steadfastness is closely related to persecution and suffering. One last passage, and I'll close here. Would you open to Luke 9, 23-26? Luke chapter 9. I think this is the call for us here in Luke 9. It says here, And he said to all, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever will lose, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses, loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my, of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, these are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Here's a warning. I already told you the blessing. The warning is this. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the Holy Angels? I just need to ask you this. It's so difficult to be a Christian. It's the hardest. 
I don't think there's anything harder than being a Christian. Living a Christian life is close to impossible, don't you? How many guys here find that impossible to live the Christian life? I find it extremely hard and impossible. But there, I don't want to stand before God in heaven and he'll tell me, you were ashamed of me. Therefore, I am ashamed of you. You know what a true Christian is? They're the one who welcomes hatred, insult, persecution, suffering. They welcome it. And they look at it as a badge of honor. And they look at it from a, a, from a fact of blessing, not curse. And they look at it as a, as a place of honor. Will you honor Christ with your life? Will you do that starting today? Will you stand up for Jesus Christ who bled and died for you? And don't ever forget, this is not for nothing. God said, great will be your reward. It's worth it. Jesus is worth it. He is. Amen? He is worth everything. He's worth it all. To God be the glory. Will you pray with me? Father, I, I, God, we confess times where we fail you, uh, where we're ashamed of you, when we um, don't have the courage, when we are cowards, even when someone asks us if we are Christian, if someone ever asks us if homosexuality is wrong, if someone asks us, is abortion wrong? When someone asks us all these tough issues that we as Christians have to take a stand on. God, uh, you put us in this world, but you have said that you have overcome it. So, so Lord, I, I pray that we put you in the forefront of our hearts and our minds and our soul and say, Jesus, you are worth it. Father, I pray as we here this morning that we will stand with you blessed and honored and not shamed at your coming Lord may you bless his people here may you bless them the Lord because they are being persecuted for their faith for greatest their reward in Jesus name Amen.